Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz for the divisional round of the NFL Playoffs 2023 season. Here we are in 2024. Okay, we made it. Uh, We had another Chiefs-Bills game last night. We're recording in the morning for once, so can't call it a Tuesday Morning Blitz, but this is a nice fresh reaction pod uh, to three very good games out of the four, I would at least say. And boy, it happened again. We'll just, I mean, we'll start with that game and we'll work our way backwards, but we're very fresh off a, a Chiefs-Bills game and we can't get Nolan on today because honestly, I wouldn't want to do that to him. So we're left to break it down. Uh, I can't believe it happened again. Can you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm being facetious. I'm not, I'm not like being, I'm not trying to be rude about it. It's... <sighs> It's really frustrating to see because Josh Allen kind of took over that game at points. Uh, It's just crazier to me to see the Chiefs just be back like so easily. I know they've they've in the past done it where their offense hasn't been quite as efficient in the regular season. It hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't been as explosive uh, even last year. Uh, or Juju Smith-Schuster, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, where they're one and two guys. Like, I think that offense was better in the regular season than this one's been. Uh, but the last the last two weeks have looked pretty damn automatic. Uh, definitely hurts. Uh, Buffalo was really on its last legs here. Uh, at, at stretches playing with uh, two active linebackers, uh, just really banged up. Uh, I I will preempt and say this, my head scratcher now. It was a weird game plan by Joe Brady. The hyper-possessive, uh, like just all around short yardage passing, a lot of running, not complaining about the running. Josh Allen played well, but if you look at this passing chart, man, Allen completed two passes past six yards from the line of scrimmage, uh, and he really only attempted uh, fewer than ten. Uh, it was it was oddly very conservative, uh, and I understand t- like it's the old school way you want to beat the Chiefs: time of possession, bash into them, run through them. But you almost wish you had a bit of Ken Dorsey here. Or you at least like recognize like, hey, maybe we miss Gabe Davis a little bit more than we thought we would. This was just a really weird game by Buffalo. Yeah, I'm 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 totally with you on that. I I think the game plan is one thing. I think it was odd to see this thing play out because it seemed, for all intents and purposes, like it was going to be another one of these absolute instant classics, and it was. And Nolan even pointed this out on Twitter. It was weird going from the Bucks Lions game to this because it's the same round of the playoffs, and yet this felt like, from a stakes perspective, like one of the five most important games of all time. I, arguably, it wasn't. Arguably, the stakes were bigger two years ago, but we've now come to a point where 
They've played each other three times in the playoffs. Mahomes has won all three. The NFL wants to play up Mahomes versus Allen as a big rivalry. Even, you know, drawing direct comparisons at several points yesterday to Manning Brady in the early stages of their career. Uh, Nick Wright pointed this out, uh, ironically enough. What makes Manning Brady at that point in history such a good rivalry is Brady has all the rings. Manning has all the MVPs. Mahomes has all the rings and Mahomes has all the MVPs. Uh, And if you want to go even further, let's say Lamar and the Ravens win next week. Then we'll be at a point where Mahomes has three Super Bowl appearances in the last five years. And then Burrow has one. Lamar has one. And Allen's the one out of the four who doesn't have one. So this is becoming a very lopsided comparison. Uh, And then if you want to talk about just the fourth quarter of the game, it was weird because it was like both teams – knew the stakes and were going, you know, just kind of outside of what they wanted to do. The the fake punt is one thing we can talk about. Like, you know, it was just a heat of the moment. They saw, you know, something they thought they could exploit, 10 guys, whatever. And then the Chiefs running that sweep to Nicole Hardman broke my brain because you have Pacheco running for eight yards a pop and you're at the three-yard line. Mahomes is like 16 to 20 for 205 yards at the time. And they're just like, yeah, no, this is, this is McColl's moment to shine. Uh, and then neither team scored for the rest of the game and you end up with a wide, right? So you could feel the stakes. It was still a really good football game, but it was also just like, nobody had that winning moment that you've come to expect from an all time classic playoff game. And it didn't leave me feeling unsatisfied, but it's just like, that's always going to stick out to me. It's like, it was one of those moments in sports, kind of like game seven warriors Cavs, where, like the moment is almost too big for both teams to handle for a while. Yeah, it is. It does make me a little bit less concerned about the Chiefs uh, long-term, or like uh, concerned about the Chiefs as a, as a threat. It was That was a weird way of saying it. But uh, like they are really Kelsey, Rice, Pacheco. And they took on a defense that has just been gutted by injuries in the last few weeks. And it's been real tough uh, for them to kind of keep ahead above water. But, you know, played tough. Whatever credit you want to give them, all good. The The quarterback comparison is very funny to me uh, because it's really like and NFL is an accolades-driven league. And Allen, <laughs> Allen could, like, could feasibly get and probably will get MVP votes this year. Uh, you know, leads the league in touchdowns, 41. How many people have put up 41, especially in this defensive led era of football uh, as quarterbacks? It's just like, it's, it's almost Marino-esque at this point where he's just like, you could tell he's good. And he's just not getting there at all. Because there are better constructed teams around him and there are better, uh, you know, like on the same level quarterbacks with better weapons, better protection, uh, better coordinators that are just getting the leg up over him. And it doesn't mean that Allen's not good or not great, but it's just very funny at this stage of his career, like how far ahead the rest of the competition is in the accolades department when uh, Allen's just kind of hanging around. It does put the Bills at a frightening crossroads, though, because this was a really old team. They're not in good cap situation. Uh, 
Diggs, you know, I, I said I said last week Diggs was finally gonna come around and have a game. Diggs Diggs did not come around and have a game. This is uh, this is beyond what I could have uh said about you know my concerns with the, the dig situation last week. And now I, I really do wonder. Is he back? Is he? Does it matter that, if he's back? Final, I don't know. That final drive is what really scared me. Like him not getting even looked at on that underneath. Allen did have him deep in the end zone. Uh, I, I forget if that was Kincaid or Shakir. Shakir. Uh, but Allen had him deep in the end zone. I just question why Allen was going to the end zone so frequently with three minutes left on the clock. Like you just need first downs. You've spent. 57 minutes to this point, just eating clock when you can and just marching and leading these slow, methodical drives that are picking up like four and a half yards a clip. Like, just keep doing that. If they're going to get, like, if they're giving you the underneath stuff, take it. And you were starting to win on the outside. I get it. And I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth like that. But, like, you were doing it for, you were doing it so well for so long. Just hold on to it. Yeah, that was the most obvious moment in the game where they had something and chose not to take it. But, I mean, if you want to talk digs, I think the moment you have to talk about is the 65-yard drop. Uh, you sent the uh, the NGS pass chart in the, in the chat, and I'm sure most, if not all, listeners have seen it online already. That... That white dot that's basically off screen, it's so far to the right. It that's maybe the best throw I've ever seen Josh Allen make. He hit digs in the bread basket from 65 yards off his back foot. And I'm not gonna say it was an easy catch, but certainly one you would hope that one of the five best receivers in the league yeah. would haul in. Because yeah, it's not just catchable, like it was like I said, in the bread basket. Uh and I feel like if we're talking like you know, moments to rue from this game or lasting images for Bills fans from this game, which I'm sure many of the Bills fans have turned us off by now, if that's what we're talking about, but going to do it anyway. Like I, for me, I think that's number one. I think that's like the number, th the, the main thing that if I'm a Bills fan, I'm looking back at like, you know, what's, what's, what's the mental image of this horror story in my brain. It's that super slow-mo of that ball just going right through Diggs's hands from 65 yards on what could have been the signature throw of Allen's career. I mean, people talk like, yeah, Allen's 27. He'll get back there. He'll, he will probably get back to a divisional round. To a division. Yeah, sure. That's, yeah. that's the bare minimum at this point. Yeah. It's, it's just for me that this is such a bigger task now because it's straight up, they are in rebuild mode now, you know. Massive contract extension kicking in for Diggs that we talked about last week. We recognize that the coverage are relatively bare because they went with a second-year fifth-rounder in Shakir uh, and a bunch of retreads, uh, attempts at finding depth guys and Trent Sherfields and Andy Isabella's, uh, uh, Deontay Hardy's, but... This is a real is a really old defense that they had on a bunch of one years. Uh, they need more safety help. They clearly need more linebacker help. They're set on the D line, but their D line is getting old, and none of the guys that they've picked up the uh, Rousseaus and Ed Olivers have, have truly burst into the round one, you know, 
certified bona fides you'd think they'd really end up being. It, you know, even like Kyrie Elam hasn't quite panned out as the CB1 round one that you'd think he'd be. Not even close, yeah. No, but you, you want to have faith. Like you want to have – this is such a fun and lovable team by personalities. They've got good social. They've got – I hate that that's the first thing I have to bring up, but like their branding is still really strong for a contending team. They're still very entertaining to watch, and at his peak, Josh Allen's awesome. But it's it's just it, – the seams are weak. Like, like it's – the supports are weak. It's it's really tough to kind of have the Bills in this moment right now because if they take a step back next year, you don't know when they come back up for air. You you don't know you don't know how Miami retools in a few years, uh, in, like in a year or two, and how they keep how they keep developing. You don't know what New England's trajectory looks like. You don't even know what the Jets look like next year, like with whatever they come back with, like. The AFC East is not certain. Uh, the AFC is definitely not certain. And these contending teams will continue to stick around the top. Like, Chiefs windows always open with Mahomes. The Ravens are always going to be good with Harbaugh and Lamar. Um, you know, Burrow comes back. Herbert finally has some sort of infrastructure around him, hopefully. Like, it's only going to get tougher from here. And the fact the Bills have to take a step back, this was I, – I know they got hurt, but this was their window. This was the easiest it's been since 13 seconds for them in terms of a path. Like, it, this was as good as you were going to get, and it just slipped through your fingers. That's what I'm – yeah, that's fully how I'm looking at it is you, you go back to 2020, and the Bills are in the AFC Championship game and they're going to Kansas City, and they take that 10 nothing lead, and we're like, wow, like are the Bills going to do this? And we would have said that was probably one year ahead of schedule for them getting to the Super Bowl that year. But you had a 10 nothing lead. That was the era where like having a 10 nothing lead against the Chiefs was basically like starting from 0-0, and the Chiefs end up just walking over them, winning that game. And there's the image of Diggs on the field at Arrowhead afterward, the now famous one. And we're thinking, like, okay, Bills lost that opportunity. The window's just starting to open. Well, now we fast forward three years and they have three excruciating playoff losses, all for different reasons. And now two of them are, have come at home like the last two yeah. years in a row. They've gotten outclassed on their own home field. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that window that window has been open for three years now and they have nothing to show for it. And they have a much tougher hill to climb. Forty three million dollars over the cap heading into next year to try and retool on the fly and get this thing built back up. And like the Chiefs can build back up next year. They can be better than they were this year. The Bengals are going to have Burrow back. The Ravens look like they're going to be here to stay for a really long time. And we've talked about it at length before. Like the AFC is just the conference of good quarterbacks. So is the is the best part of the window fully already passed? Is, is there, I guess for me, it's like, are we even going to think of the bills as one of the best options next year? Are we even going to think of them in like that top three of the AFC? Like we've seen them for the last three, four years. I don't know. It's, it's a scary proposition. I think if you're waking up in Western New York today to think about the future, it is really funny that just in these playoffs, it is three losing teams were playing with house money, got had their super bowl yeah. last week 
nothing, you know. I wouldn't say the Bucks are nothing but up. Uh, Packers and Texans are definitely nothing but up. Uh, seven, and, seven seed and a two, two barely snuck into the playoffs teams. Didn't yeah. even expect to be there. And, and it is Bills are just moratorium season, uh, full dismantling, like like an outright funeral. Yeah. Uh, for but them. isn't that why? Because like it was at least one round before the Bills should have even been like under consideration for going. I, I know that's totally a lie because they played the Chiefs and Mahomes, who's beaten them every single time. But like that, that wasn't the round you're supposed to go out in as a two seed from the start. So it's like extra, extra rough that for the second year in a row they haven't even like gotten to the game that would have made or break made or broken their season. Yeah. The. uh uh, the thing I did just want to add before we totally uh, depart from this game is that I, I'm curious where where you are on Kansas City going in. Because they go and play Baltimore. Uh, I don't know where we're talking about them next game or, or what game we're talking about next, but they go to play Baltimore. The things that the Chiefs have been touted for this year have been – you know, Mahomes still being Mahomes and them having their best defense ever. And I just don't know how good the defense is playing right now because they didn't have a great defensive DVOA this game. They finish at literal zero. Uh, zero for single game DVOA. Uh, the offense is the thing that completely rolled for them, and that mostly came off them averaging seven yards a clip against a team with no linebackers. Uh, you know, Rishi Rice is starting to look a little banged up because uh, he's just taking shots from the pure amount of volume he's had. Uh, if it weren't for Marquez Valdez Scantling getting two. 30 plus yard catches uh, in this game. It is a completely different looking picture uh, for this Chiefs offense. And, and and Mahomes did the damn thing. Let's not take credit away from Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback because he he is fan freaking fantastic. But did you see what his EPA per play and CPOE were yesterday? No. <laughs> 0.57 EPA per play, 16 total EPA. 18.2 CPOE, 62.7 expected Jesus. completion, 81 actual. That's nuts. There's yeah. only one Patrick Mahomes. But until, but I like, I wanted to finish this with until the ending stretch, the Chiefs defense had allowed Allen to complete all but four of his throws. Like, there, like, there was a point in this game where, uh, these two quarterbacks through, I think, most of the fourth quarter, or at least some of the fourth quarter, uh, had missed a combined 10 passes. Like, I know it was a game manager type stuff, and they were shutting a lot down downfield, uh, but they didn't get to Allen once. Uh, Allen rushed for 72 yards and two touchdowns. He they, they let Cook and Ty Johnson kind of run how they please. Uh, for most of the game, I'm curious about uh, Cook's success rate because I know he got stopped uh, behind the line of scrimmage a few times. But 
like it, it just wasn't that amazing of a uh, of a defensive performance. Uh, the skill position players didn't exactly perform a thousand percent, and it really was Mahomes just kind of carrying this group. And I just don't quite know how they'll fare heading into Baltimore next weekend. Here is why. I mean, there's many reasons why, but here is why I think the Ravens win that game. Spoiler alert. I know we're doing picks at the end, but uh, the Chiefs are playing their 11th straight game, 11 weeks in a row. The Ravens are playing their second. They are. They looked like, do you want to just go into the other AFC game? Because Baltimore looked awesome. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, we can we can just group them together like that if that's what you want. And uh, like before we fully get off Mahomes, like that was incredible. That was his best performance. That was Kelsey's best performance. Great run from Pacheco. Of, but the, I think, of the season, you're saying? Yeah, of the yeah. season. But I think that that was the game for them. I think they exhausted every last loophole. I think they all got up for that game, and they were like, you know, we're going to give 150%. We're going to leave it all out there. And I just don't know how you summon that to an even greater degree the next week. I even uh, – Tracy Wolfson, like – pulled Mahomes aside after the game like you do always in these, you know, I, I what what's a post-game interview. I'm just being ridiculous. They always do that. But they asked him all these questions about the game, and then they flipped it on him. They're like, okay, it's pretty early, but Lamar Jackson in the AFC Championship game next week, you know, what are you thinking for that? And you could just tell it was so far from his brain. Like he hadn't even computed that that game was going to happen, that they were going to have to go to Baltimore and – that's already one day that the Ravens have been, you know, watching this game, getting geared up to take you on. So I just think that like, and, and, you know, they lost the last time they won a crazy game against the bills. And that was at home against the Bengals team that hadn't been anywhere yet. So I just, I think, you know, to, to transition into Baltimore, I think that team is just, you know, this, this was not, not even like the look ahead game for them. This was the tune up. And now they are, they're ready to go out and win their game. Like the Chiefs just won theirs. This is, this is the Ravens' time for me. The thing for me about that Baltimore game is just the fact that it was so much more dominant than I think the games, like the final score let on. I think D'Amico Ryan's at one point. I know at least uh, PFF had brought this up with the relation to Bobby Slovak, but they basically had apparently said before the game, they did not think they could run their normal offense on Baltimore. Uh, so they just had to run trick plays. And a few of them broke off, and a few of them were pretty good. But the fact that you have to go in – and listen, Andy Reid is one of the most – creative play callers in football uh, with the shit he does. But you can't (laughs) – on a week's week's notice like that, it is tough to truly come in and say that is the – like that's your game script, that you've got to empty the bag out and come up with all your trick plays and all your – uh, you know, improvisations. It is that is not the way you can play this game against a really strong and stout Baltimore team. That is a really tough way to live. And they're just so healthy, and they're just 
peaked at the right time. They've been peaked for a while now, but they're also coming off like rest, but they're not, they're not rusty because they got the rust off this week. So, and they get the extra day of rest for this game. It's just, it's all lining up for Baltimore. And I think as much as there was like nervous energy in Buffalo, the Buffalo fans brought it. There's no denying it, but when you have a tortured history like the Bills have, there's always just going to be like that waiting for the other shoe to drop, that that nervous cheer that just, you know, you, you felt all the air come out of the tire when Bass went wide right. Like that was just, that was almost excruciating to rewatch this morning because you just hear the the sigh of the crowd. It's like, all right, we felt that coming. The Ravens have none of that. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be intimidating. And they are going to fully expect to win this game. And nothing, I- nothing tells me they won't. I wouldn't call them fully healthy, obviously. Like, Marlon Humphrey's still out. Uh, they're very thin at safety. It, it, their roster straight up right now is just Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, and Geno Stone at safety. But we don't uh, think we don't think that Humphrey's going to be back for this game? I do. I, I, I'm sure he will, but you know he's not going to be 100%. And they're getting Mark Andrews back. Right. And it's almost... I almost lost. wish they weren't, right? No, that's... I was about to say that. Like, I don't know how he, like, I'm not saying screws up chemistry, but he's kind of crazy that I'm like, God, I hope they don't get this all pro tight end back and it doesn't, like, shake things up too much because they're cooking right now. Yeah, well, I just hope they don't, like, change their offense to try and run it through him, you know? Like, they've just been, they've been cooking. Like, like six touchdowns in his last six games. Six in his (laughs) last six. Uh, What's wrong with that? And I get it. I get it's good. I want to look at, uh, I'm going to see if I can pull up the uh, the RG Manon uh, tidyverse pages. I wish I still had them saved. I got to go into his Twitter to get it. But uh, to check personnel rates uh, and how well they run it and what their EPA is at certain run rates. Uh, but they've got to have just an unreal uh, setup on uh, – by the time this gets all the way back in, their 12th personnel has to be crazy. Uh, by the end of this, just getting everything in that mix. I got to uh, – what is this thing called? Uh, I, I'm fired up for this Baltimore team. And like we said, Texans played awesome. He- ahead of their skis, the – you know, it, it, nothing more – nothing better you could say about them. But, you know, Baltimore's front seven, crazy. Uh, their ability to snuff out the run. Uh, pretty damn special. The you know, I don't know. However many way, however many ways you want to spend this one, it is. This is a damn good group of players. Put up a minus thirty one percent defensive DVOA in this game. Uh, RBS DMs crashing for me. Otherwise, I'd get their EPA uh, EPA numbers. But God, this is a really really freaking good defense. And the fact that they have just this versatility on offense, uh, the running back, the running back room is, is obviously super banged up. No Dobbins. No, uh, uh, now I can't remember. I want to call him Keyshawn Nixon. Keaton Mitchell. Keaton Mitchell. Uh, like, like, but Gus boss is just ever reliable like they've just been running with Dalvin Cook looks good like it's it's just the offensive line at this point like it's it's you could put whoever back there and they're picking up a couple yards 
I agree. And it's not, I mean, that's like the, the eighth subplot that I'm most worried about for the, for the chiefs and for the Texans in this game, right? Like this was, we talked about last week, they would have to go on this total insanity run where they beat the number two defense, then they beat the number one defense, and then they beat the Chiefs, and then they beat the number three defense probably in the Super Bowl. So it was it was time for them to go. And you know, and I knew it was over, it was pretty early on when like you you think about everything has to go right for the Texans in this game, and they're they got like drops early. Dalton Schultz, like right in the hands on third and 10 or whatever it was for like 30 yards, just right through him. Those are the type of things where you're not going to get a chance to like right that wrong later down the line. You know, the Ravens are going to come back. So even the fact that they get the punt return touchdown, which was awesome and get it to a tie game at halftime, you're thinking that you have to be up at that point because the Ravens, you know, they take a half, they knock the rust off. The offense hasn't fully gotten cooking yet. You know, it's going to, and it started Early and often in the second half, uh, Lamar. That's that's all you really. <laughs> there were people like acting weird about Lamar's game, like they just read the box score and saw he had 152 passing yards and that he didn't have a good game. Lamar was untouchable, especially on the ground game. And even when they needed a throw from him, it was always there. Uh, I don't see any reason Lamar can't do that for two more games and win this team a Super Bowl. I know I'm looking pretty far ahead, but. If he's if he's the guy he was on Saturday, I find it tough to believe anyone's going to be able to hold in. Oh, for sure, it is. I'm hoping it holds out. I, I'm hoping he stays uh, as dominant as he's been. Uh, all these tidyverse apps are crashing for me. I'm not sure why. Uh, but so I can't pull up the uh, Baltimore uh, stats by personnel, but I. This is just a real, real special group. I don't want to totally ride out my uh, Super Bowl pick uh, from preseason and give too much credit to that. But this is, this I is think you do actually, which is <sighs> which is good to be encouraged. Honestly, no, I mean I get it, but this is just such a crazy group that it's like it's tough not to be all in on them. You know, just winning this outright three and a half. I know the Chiefs are good. I know that I know it's Mahomes. I know it's Reed, and I know it's a really strong defense. But like, you know, I don't know how Willie Gay is going to look with that neck injury. Uh, like, you're, you, Chiefs D starting to get banged up. weren't able to pressure Allen, uh, or they were able to pressure him. They weren't able to bring him down. Uh, and and Lamar is just as mobile as Josh Allen. Lamar had one of the uh, according to shots had one of the best uh, rushing single-game rushing performances uh, for a quarterback ever. Uh, in the DVOA era, at least, uh, Lamar had the sixth-best rushing performance uh, by DVOA ever, or uh, by DYAR ever. And in the playoffs, it is second only to the uh, – the record-setting Colin Kaepernick game. Yeah, Which, I mean, pretty good that, company. That's kind of what it looked like. It was it was Kaepernick light. It was you, you know Allen. He does that thing where he just bulldozes everyone, and then he does like kind of the choppy step, like goofy looking fake slide, and that's like his one move in the open field. Lamar's bag in the open field is stupid, and the way he can just sort of like stop and let the guy go by him while he like kind of pulls his legs back and does a little whoop. 
It's it's ridiculous. He's I mean, it, it is straight up. <laughs> it is the video we saw him put on in high school. Yeah. The, the stop, the stop and go of the goal line. It is, it is crazy. He's been able, like, that's a thing you do to embarrass people in high school that are, you know, playing out of their heads and, and have no level of control or training. Uh, and he's doing that to professionals. He's doing that to people that make nine, 10 figures a year playing football. So, God, he's, he's impressive. Yeah. No, I just don't see. I don't see how that team's losing at this point. And I guess like historically when we've said that about a team, that's right when they lose, but yes, I mean, shut up about it, bud. Let's, <laughs> Ooh, let's what's down. I have my I don't <laughs> money. money on the Ravens. This is just for pride. I don't, I don't care if they lose that. That might be good content. Who knows? But I, I think they're, they're the cream of the crop right now. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much more to say. I'm excited for that game, but I just think it's going to be like the Baltimore show. I think this is their time. You go back to like 2019 when they were 14 and two and had the one seed and everything was good. And then they just got stunned by Derrick Henry in Baltimore. And you think about the winding road it's been to get back to this place where three straight essentially season ending injuries for Lamar, including in 2020, the playoff game against the bills where he gets out in the second half and can't play. And then we've just always like kind of not necessarily factored them in because he's been hurt, but they've been this same great roster all along and they've only kept adding to it and building up that defense to be as historically good now as it is. And now they're here. Now they're, they're just unquestionably the best team because Lamar's the guy, but they have so many other guys around him. And now that they have the guy healthy, it's like, it's almost like they were a sleeping giant this entire time while all these other teams were duking it out with Lamar on the sidelines. I will say uh, it would be if they pull this off. Uh, I, I want to track it down, but uh, the the Ravens put up the highest weighted DVOA ever through the divisional round. Uh, and, and should be noted that one of the teams on that list is the 2020 Buffalo Bills. Uh, they're, the, they're the fifth highest uh, team by weighted DVOA in the hmm. DVOA era. Uh, they're the ones that you know lost to Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Go figure. Uh, but I want to find, he, he tweeted a lot, uh, so it might be tough to track down, but the Ravens have also faced the second hardest, if they, if they win it all, will have faced the second hardest regular season schedule of any Super Bowl team and finished with the one seed. Uh, they are second only to the 08 Steelers. So not only is this team, you know, incredibly talented, they are also battle-tested. Like, this is a team that has seen some shit and have come out on top. The thing is, like, have they even I, – I agree from, like, a – their schedule on paper has been tough, but how much shit have they really even seen? Like arguably their toughest game was the one they lost against the Browns. And they also had that weird choke against the Steelers in the fourth quarter early in the season, but every game on their schedule that was like, okay, this is the toughest game. 
they just wiped the floor with the team that was on the opposing sideline. And that yeah, Niners, Niners game flashes to the memory. But how about that Lions game? Because we're talking about the other team that they might see in the Super Bowl. What was that, 38-6? to six? Yeah. That was just a – they cleaned their clocks. And that's always been the thing. Lamar about threw more. for 350 on them. Granted, that was without uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, which – All right. Did well, a little bit. Like, I'm, that's not, I'm not saying it's one guy. It's a crazy run, though. They they stomped the Jaguars. They stomped mm-hmm. the Niners. They steamrolled the Miami Dolphins. Right. Uh, I mean, they just made work of every every team they were supposed to kind of challenge. Yeah, the Seahawks were uh, the two seed in the NFC at the time when they played each other, and it's the same thing that happened to the Lions. That's that's been the the thing that's been in their back pocket all along. Is Lamar's what twenty and one now against the NFC in his career? They just don't know how to – you can watch as much film on Lamar as you want, but until you play against him repeatedly, you have no idea how to keep him in the pocket, how to catch up to him in the open field, how to even, like, bring him down because he's so slippery. Like, they they are not ready. And the Niners arguably will be more ready, but either NFC team is not ready for the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that's the big takeaway is that you just have to – it's weird. It's weird to kind of say you just have to experience Lamar to get a grip. But I, I, you know, you were kind of talking about like, you know, Ravens have an extra day of prep. They've got a little bit more scouting ahead of them. Uh, it is, <laughs> it's it's a beast to play against. And Kansas City, you know, I'm not saying they're on the back foot with you know one fewer day of rest or whatever, but it is a. Uh, <laughs> He's played the Chiefs four times, and he's only won one of those games in 2021. But they've just never had a receiving court like this. They've just never had this good of a group. And that's, like, not even the thing that totally matters for them, but you're right. Like, it is something that they haven't had before that they can fall back on. They just have – they have so many different ways they can beat you, and I just don't – I don't see how one of those doesn't come to pass. So – I just I I feel better about that game than I do the other one, honestly. Even though the the Niners Lions is the bigger spread. So which one which one of them do you want to talk about first? Are we talking Lions or are we talking Niners? Oh uh, well, it depends. You want to be you want to be positive? Or you want to be negative? We were just pretty gushingly positive coming off a brutally negative segment. So <laughs> listen, I don't. I'm here. I'm here to go whatever way that. you want to go. I'm, <laughs> let's I'm let's talk Niners. Because I don't know, you, you are you are from the San Francisco area. You have watched historically more Niners football than I have. And watching this game, the Packers kind of took the swings that they needed to to make this competitive. They jump on the ball first, uh, and they get a score out of it, uh, opening with a, uh, you know, Opening the game with a uh, you know some first drive points, they get a couple bad breaks in there. Uh, I think if the weather wasn't a factor, that last love interception doesn't happen. If the uh, the spot toward the end of the game or, or the uh, on the second drive, that third and one, uh, Jones looked like he crossed the first down marker and he uh, was marked short, but. Packers then kind of have to start playing a little catch-up ball. Most of the fun stuff happened in the second half. Uh, 
But this just doesn't look like like the 49ers team we've come accustomed to. I don't know if it's just that Brock Purdy hasn't hasn't played fantastically in the rain. Uh, I don't know if it's a uh, yeah, I don't know how much that affects the uh, the Packers offense overall. Uh, I don't know how much you can take away from the loss of Debo because uh, he's reportedly currently 50 50 uh, for the NFC championship. Uh, but this just doesn't feel like it just wasn't as dominant a game from San Francisco as I thought we'd be seeing to this point. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy fit, like physically threw for a lot of yards, but missed some pretty easy balls. Is not as All accurate right. as he's typically been. The like is mo- like mostly a McCaffrey game, in my opinion. Like like a lot of you know big plays from Kittle's and Jennings, uh, or, or Kittle and Jennings, uh, and Iuke. You know, a couple clutch moments here and there, but like by volume, this was very much like. The Packers just barely not being able to keep up, and it's, yeah. I'm just I'm just worried about it because like the Packers defense is has been so bad, and they've picked up a little bit in the playoffs. Uh, they were able to handle business uh, last week against the Cowboys, but it scares me that this was so close. I know Love has been awesome. Uh, I know Love has played really well. Slipped up a little bit here. Jones crushed. But just just a tough, weird game from San Francisco's perspective. I don't know where you're at with this. I, I agree that I didn't like what I saw, but I also think that there's there's a world historically where they lose that game and they, you know, it, it, in many ways, it like directly mirrored that Cleveland game earlier in the season, right? Where they should win. I who even was it for Cleveland in that game? Was it PJ Walker? Walker? I think yeah, it was PJ Walker, and they just Debo goes out with a shoulder injury early in the game. It's raining. It's like a, a stiffer defense than you expect, and Purdy is just not on his game. And I think the fact that they at least won, I mean, obviously we're talking about their season's over if they lose, so it's obviously better to win. But I think it like, in in a weird way, it's like kind of a good gut check for the Niners that they were able to get that done because even the two weeks after the Debo injury in the regular season where they lost the next two games and everyone said the sky was falling, A, they did that without Trent Williams, and Trent Williams is very much still here. B, Purdy actually played fine for the most part in those two games. They just lost, but Purdy was okay. And I think that like, as much as I don't trust him to be the driving force behind the Niners championship run, like just him, they still have enough supporting cast existing around him. And that's assuming Devo doesn't play. If he does play and is anything close to himself, like they're, they're pretty much fine. And like the weather forecast seems to be fine for San Francisco this weekend. I really just think like 80% of it for Purdy was like tiny hands, wet ball, don't throw well in the rain. And I, <laughs> as long as that's not a factor, like I think he'll be okay. And it's some of the, some of the discourse, I mean, the, the discourse in general around this Brock Purdy performance was chef's kiss a plus. I think it was Mina Kimes who 
brought it up on my feed at least where it was like he couldn't have got any better where he looks terrible the entire game throws multiple balls that should have been just bread basket game changing interceptions that the Packers completely drop but then leads one game winning touchdown drive and I would argue he just kind of threw it up there to triple coverage and uh, Jawan Jennings brought it down and that play was mostly Jawan Jennings but the fact that he had one big throw into triple coverage on third down when they needed it most and then you know they end up going on a 12 play, I think 65 yard touchdown drive to win the game. He had a scramble in there. That was probably the second biggest play of the drive. Like perfect for the discourse. Couldn't have, couldn't have worked out any better to where anyone who wanted to get their predetermined thoughts off that they already thought about Purdy was able to do so. uh, And nobody could really challenge them except everyone challenged everyone. <laughs> the Who was the athletic writer? I'm not even going to bother to look up his name, but the guy who said, like, that's what Joe Montana used to do about uh, Purdy's performance in this game. Like, okay. I did not do that one. I would That would be seared in my brain. If I All right, that. I will find it then. <laughs> uh, Rock, Purdy, Montana. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's, there's some tough stuff. Uh, David Lombardi. Brock Purdy answered every single doubt and criticism by delivering a comeback playoff drive that has immediately become part of 49ers legend. That's what Joe Montana used to do. That's the head 49ers writer for the athletic David Lombardi. Uh, I did find it like, I agree with you that it, you know, this is a game the Niners would typically lose, uh, but they won and that's good. Uh, the graphics of, uh, Kyle Shanahan is 0-38 when entering the fourth quarter down – or 0-35 when entering the fourth quarter down eight or more. Uh, 0-30 when entering the fourth quarter down five or more. And then I think there was a 1-31, which doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, But there was like a 1-something – when he enters the fourth quarter down uh, three. Yeah. It definitely doesn't make sense that the number would be bigger for eight or more than it would be for five or more. So I don't know. Don't know where the math's at on that. Yeah, I don't know. Either uh, way, he didn't win before, but now he has. So yes. congrats for the monkey being off the back. Yes, that is a bit. That is a major one. It's just the fact that I don't – I get worried about – like this is clearly such – a talented team. They are my issues with them are thus. Feels pretty front uh front seven dominant at this point. Like it is it's like kind of just Chavarius Ward out there. Uh on the I, I, am I wrong in saying that? That it's kind of just like their secondary is one man. Their secondary is ward and dudes. Uh, it's it's no disrespect to Lenoir. It's no respect to Sean Gibson. It just you know without yeah, Hufanga, with they've always been relatively thinner at corner this season, especially with just how deep they are in their front seven. And you know as we saw, Drake Greenlaw, pretty big part of their coverage plan as well, linebacker. You know Fred Warner, same thing dominating over the middle but just a like just a smaller group that we're typically used to seeing at corner or a thinner group the like i i I just worry about that 
and I worry about Purdy's going to be fine at Dome. Not caring about that too much, but you know, what's the ceiling on? I, I now I'm now I just feel like I'm being a little bit too negative. I'm just I'm so in on Baltimore. I'm just so in on Baltimore. And I yeah. think that, I mean, we I should be, we just should be focusing hold. on this championship game matchup first. That's that's obviously. what I'm that's what I'm saying. Where I'm I'm you know jumping ahead of myself because I think Detroit has a very realistic chance of winning this game. It, it's it just gets the 49ers just look a little bit more vulnerable than I had previously pictured them, and I think that's a little bit of fantasy bias. I think it's the fact that it's like. Oh, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo, George Kittle. Uh, like and just you have all these crazy skill position weapons, and then you don't you don't think as much about the strength of the defense. Even when the acquisitions are like, oh, we add Chase Young to put aside Nick Bosa. We added what does he do? Javon. Yeah, we added Javon. <laughs> my, dad, my dad's like big on the uh Niners this year. He's a Patriots fan historically, but he's lived in the Bay Area forever and the Patriots are bad. So he's like latched on to the Niners in his, you know, time of desperation. Uh, and he's watching and reading every bit of 49ers coverage. And he is the biggest Chase Young hater alive. He's like, what does this guy do? You know, what are, what, what attributes does he bring to the table? He says like half the time he's just banging into the guy next to him on the defensive line instead of getting upfield towards the quarterback. And that's so just, I can't disagree with him. <laughs> I haven't seen really Chase Young do much so far. I know, but his presence alone is like a blo- is a blocking problem. I know he's not as great as as number one overall status, uh, but like the presence he brings feels important. Like he's put up fourteen tackles for loss this season. About half of those have come with the Niners. He's racked up 50 pressures this season, 20 quarterback hits. Like the sacks aren't totally coming because it's not his legitimate role, but he is he is genuinely put up five pressures in a Bucks game a while ago, uh, very deep in the season. They, I wish that Sports Info Solutions kept uh, postseason game logs on top of the regular season game logs, but like. He's been cooking. Like he's he's put up genuine numbers for this 49ers team, like since the trade. So it's yeah, he's not getting when you when you have Nick when you have Nick Bosa, Ari Garmstead, and Javon Hargrave, you're the fourth mouth to feed on sacks. Like you're not turning in as many sacks post game. But if you're yeah. doing charting stuff, the pressures are gonna be there. Like you are still a presence. I mean, his pressure numbers are still down from earlier this season in Washington and like if you just yeah because he's the one there it's if different you're on you're the sports info solutions page it's like yeah we just thought this guy was going to be such a different player coming out of his rookie year when he gets 35 total points saved than the next three years where he puts up a combined 35 total points saved like he's just not been that guy I, I, I I'm being a little hyperbolic and keep in mind this is like I'm I'm also delivering anecdotes from my dad who uh, basically made the same Brock Purdy, Joe Montana comparison to me over text in the same day uh, that the athletic writer made. My dad texted me and said, I was reminded that uh, Joe Montana in the catch game threw three picks and lost a fumble, basically insinuating like maybe Purdy's better than Montana. (laughs) So 
I'm being a little hyperbolic on Chase Young. I don't think he's a bad football player, but I certainly I like you know the Niners were thinking or Niners fans potentially. I don't think the Niners thought they were getting like a legitimate number one in the league two headed monster at defensive end, but he's he's more of a complimentary piece at this stage in his career than I think we expected him to be. I don't I, I wouldn't even go that far. It's just I think it's a scheme thing at this point. I, I think what Hero Rivero has going there right now is just like defensive line isn't just we have four guys like you know, we're not sicking guys like dogs at the quarterback. That could be say, the I will say you're talking Steve Wilkes, right? Steve Wilkes, not Hero Rivero, sorry. Uh I forgot which <laughs> I forgot which Panthers defensive mind was currently working for the 49ers on a reclamation project. Uh, the uh, the issue is, yeah, like you're not scheming up pressures for Chase Young. You can scheme up pressures for Bosa, and you can play games scheming up interior pressures for. Armstead and Hargrave. But in terms of like getting your guy yours, Young is a presence who kind of has to earn his more. Young is just a guy who's who's a part of the system and along for the ride. I don't think he's like getting the benefit of all of these, like, you know, tackle misses an assignment because he's got to cover a stunt and that allows a guy to run free or He's not getting put in certain positions where like like Hutchinson was in the game for the Lions where like Hutchinson is the direct beneficiary of understanding the limitations of blocking an empty uh, trips personnel uh, and like understanding the limitations of that specific offensive play call where people are like, oh, that's a missed assignment. Like Hutchinson just ran free. No, that's a defensive coordinator recognizing that like these are the block uh, blocking limitations of this scheme. These are the assignments that linemen have to check. If I do one little extra thing, Hutchinson gets to run free. That's what has to happen. And like Young, like I said, is, you know, he's the weak side edge and he's the fourth mouth to feed on this defense. He's not getting the direct beneficiary. It's not stat batting because it's like just good play calling by a defense, but like I'd argue his numbers are a little bit depressed because he just kind of has to earn everything. I would like to talk about the Green Bay Packers and please no offense, Kale, no offense, Kale, but I don't want to do it with you. I have an ace in the hole and this is only for our Spotify listeners. So if you are currently watching this on the YouTube platform, Head on over to Spotify. We have a special treat. Uh, Packers fan Tosh Myers, recurring guest of the program, has thoughts on his team losing in the playoffs. It is something that I am excited to bring because this is an authentic fan perspective to the show, and I could not in good conscience ask Nolan to do this for the Bills today. So we are lucky enough that Tosh has had some time to digest his playoff loss. He's hopeful about the future of the Green Bay Packers. Uh but before we go on to talk about further playoff football, uh, I would love to bring on Tosh Myers and properly dissect this Packers loss. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the man of the hour is Tosh Myers, Green Bay Packers, lifelong fan and attendee 
of the NFC divisional playoff round, if I am very much not mistaken, Tosh. Uh, we'll get into uh, the rest of the game soon, but I just want to know, like, what was it like, boots on the ground, as a Packers fan in Levi's Stadium? How intimidating was it? Yeah, the Levi's crowd was was actually relatively calm, I would say. Um, I'm not surprised. That, yes, a little rain, I think, scared off a lot of the Niner fans. Uh, ticket prices, I think they started off um, – Cheapest seats in Levi's were $450 upper deck. And uh, by game time, we got 200 level seats for $240. So um, price went down. It was pretty quiet. Packers took a took the lead, and it, you could definitely sense the nerves, and it was raining, and, and the vibes were a little bit off for Niner fans. But um, the, it did get pretty loud for that kick, and then right after that kick, um, and then our last possession, that sitting gets loud, was probably not as loud as the uh, the Sunday night game when a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, we Packers went in there and just got smashed on Sunday night football. Oh, regular season? Yeah. And then we got smashed again by them in the playoffs. In the playoffs. Um, that game was a little bit louder, but uh, yeah, we just didn't, just didn't get it done, so... Um, but yeah, excited to break it all down here. Today. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Certainly as a seven seed going into a number one seed, I think there's two ways you can look at it. You can be happy to be there or you can be like we had a real shot to win this game. Like it was there for the taking. You're probably not going to get, a, you know, as much as I don't think Brock Purdy is an elite level quarterback by any means, you're probably not going to get a worse performance from him. Uh, and a couple picks get dropped, a couple drives don't get capitalized on, and so on and so forth. But what was the moment where you felt most like you were going to win that game? And what was the moment where you were like, ah, shit, this is over? The, the moment I felt most like we were going to win, and it was really the only moment that I that even came into my brain because I just never really thought we were going to win this game. But um, it was when Aaron Jones is running – in the fourth quarter, that long run, uh, Packers were up by four, and we had the ball about, I think, about six minutes left. And he's r- running towards the end zone, only to be tracked down by um, Cordavius Ward. And then um, we had the ball at about the, the 30, and, I, and I'm like, all right, let's just get a few first downs here. At worst, we'll kick a field goal and be up by seven uh, with the ball in Brock Purdy's hands. Like, I like our odds. And, of course, um, Niners defense, red zone defense was strong all game. I think that was the difference in the game. We couldn't stop them in the red zone. They stopped us a few times. So um, that was probably the that was the time. But I, I, that was a tough game to win in Levi's one seed Niners stacked roster, both tackles out. You know, I I'm not hating that effort out of the Packers. So when they're driving back the other way, now first of all, I imagine the mood was not great after the Anders Carlson miss kicked it, was that like, did the stadium even get in it for that? Or were they still nervous at that point? Or did you feel they, like they sensed they were going to win at that point? They were definitely a little bit nervous before the kick, but I think right after the kick, it immediately got super loud and they realized that they were going to win. Um, Cause our defense, it, it, they just ran out of gas. And um, on that last drive, we, I mean, we were playing five down linemen trying to stop McCaffrey four uh, four DBs two linebackers we were playing just base defense trying to stop McCaffrey and every play it looked like the Niners had a run play called and then Purdy would just audible out of it and we'd get stuck with Preston Smith in coverage um and he was just kind of picking us apart which I I didn't hate that strategy like you know at least 
if they're going to score, at least make Purdy beat you and at least not let them run out the clock all the way. Um, and then uh, Love got the ball and and uh, it's it was tough. You know, two tackles are out. The receivers were just getting battered around all second half. There wasn't much separation and and he tried to make a play. I don't think he saw Greenlaw and uh, and then the Niners won. Wouldn't say he saw Greenlaw, no. I think, uh, I mean, we'll get back into the pick there, but to my head scratcher of the week, my moment where I was like, what the hell's going on is the the lack of calling a timeout when the Brock Purdy goes down at the six-yard line with like 148 to go. The play started with 155, and you've got all three timeouts, and it's third and one from the six-yard line. I mean, how – what's yeah, going I through think, your head in the moment? And then in hindsight, what are you thinking about yeah, that? Yeah, so I was – I was I was thinking, yeah, I, I, the timeout definitely crossed my mind. Um, what I was thinking in that situation, though, is is if you save your three timeouts and they, say, run a sneak on that third and one, then you give yourself a chance. Whereas if you take that timeout, they just sneak it for a yard like they did a few other times. Then you have two timeouts. It's like a minute 40 left, and they have a bunch of chances from the basically what four three yard line to to get it in so it, it i don't know i don't know well, that's interesting was... so you think it increased their chances of stopping the third and one by not calling the timeout uh no i, I think it i think that they were going to get that third and one anyways i think lafleur had thought they were going to get that third and one so he wanted to save the three timeouts for the uh goal line but hmm. See, I yeah. think you just stop the clock. If you're going to stop the clock three times, stop it as soon as you can. Because, like, either way, your offense is going to have a chance, and I want to give them the most time possible. Whereas if you stop them, you're going to stop them and win the game no matter what. So the only way you could think about, in my mind, not taking the timeouts is if you get a look where you don't want to bail them out. It's kind of like uh, Belichick in the Super Bowl way back when. He just saw the look that Seattle was lining up, and he was like, we're going to stop this. We practiced this all week. I'm not about to bail them out. Carroll doesn't realize we have the exact right coverage for this. So if that's the case, I can think about Lufler not taking the time out there. But I don't know. That just bothered me because you go from a situation where, say, they take the timeout, McCaffrey does score on the next play. Now you have a minute 40 to go down with two timeouts, but a minute 40 is a long time, and the touchdown may even still be on the table. Whereas they end up getting it with a minute and two. It's like, all right, you're not going down and driving and getting a touchdown that quick. Best you can do is the game tying field goal. And I think it may have contributed to Love trying to play hero ball at the end there. But what did you think about yeah. Love on that last drive? I mean, obviously, not the right decision, but I mean, how A, is that like totally out of character for him? Is that just like a bad moment? You think he's learning from that? Like, walk me through your thought process behind that Love pick. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he, so first of all, he's a young quarterback. It's his first year starting. He's, way ahead of where I thought he would be. And I think he's, you could definitely say he's ahead of where Aaron Rodgers was his first year. Um, the pick was not super uncharacteristic. Um, he has a tendency to kind of throw across his body late on the run, um, which with his, his arm strength and, and athleticism, like it has worked out a lot. Um, I just think there, you, you can't do that. You got to throw the ball away. And he's been really good at, at actually throwing it away a lot of times in those situations or um, just checking it down. Um, not totally uncharacteristic, though. He has that kind of a little bit of that Brett Favre throw it up sense that Aaron Rodgers just totally did not have. 
Um, but I think the, the, the fact that he is able to not get sacked in a game like this with basically two backup tackles, um, a right guard who's pretty much on the way out, probably going to draft his replacement, and against one of the best fronts in football, and his ability to maneuver around the pocket, um, kind of sprint away. There was one play where he just kind of outran Bosa to the sideline. Like, let's not underestimate that our quarterback just outran Bosa to the sideline. Like, Aaron Rodgers was not doing that. So, um, that was a that was a rough throw. I just I don't think he saw the. I think it was was it Jones who was kind of streaking up the field on the backside. I don't think he saw. I think Jones should have probably cut that more in, and Greenlaw would have been in the play. But uh, well, you're talking about who we ended up throwing it to, or a different route? Yeah. So no, I'm that was. I mean, Watson was the route he actually tried to hit. So it was it was Watson and Warner who was the route he tried to hit, and then on the backside, Greenlaw was covering. I think it was Jones. It was one of the backs. It might have been a tight end, which would have been even more of a backside throw. Like yeah, I don't think he ever saw that that running back was going up the field there. I don't think he ever. I don't think Greenlaw. I don't think he ever thought that Greenlaw was even in play to make that. I think he he was just looking at Warner versus Watson. He's like, I'll just throw this to a spot and hope Watson can run around. Um, But I think I think the bigger issue is that our receivers who had been um, great during this last few games a four game winning streak uh and great in dallas on that turf they just looked like they were getting bullied around by the niner corners like there wasn't much separation in the fourth quarter they stopped calling those holding penalties that they were calling early in the game um and there was just really no one open a lot of the time so i think goal number one for me this offseason as a packer fan is those get those receivers in the weight room um get them to play a little bit more physical and i think that uh i think that that it's going to be a tough cover to cover six legitimate guys once those guys bulk up a little bit. And uh, yeah. So a lot's been made of that receiver room and they are very young and very talented. What is your assessment of the hierarchy of that receiver room slash like who are the guys you have the highest hopes for? Uh, who do you think is developing into a one? Cause in my mind, it's Jaden Reed is the potential one out of that group. And Everyone was probably thinking at one point or another that Watson like had the most talent. I think Dubs is like your perfect two, but where's your head at with that receivers room? Like who's filling what role moving forward? Yeah, so I see Reed is is the guy in the slot, um, taking like end arounds, jet motions, um, streaking up the field, up the middle of the field. Even um, I think Jaden Reed is is really good. I'm I'm he's probably the guy I think is the the best or has the highest potential to be like a true number one. Like if you're going to have a a 1400 yard receiver next year, I think he's the only one who I would say, like, I believe that for him, the others can be good. I just don't see like, you know, kind of what Amon Ross St. Brown has been to the lions last year where he just builds on it every year and gets more and more until this year it's 1500 yards and an all pro selection. Reed is the one that I could see developing into something like that. Yeah. I could see an Amon Ross St. Brown type, career for Jaden Reed um kind of in the slot a little bit gotta say on the field like you said like he's he's kind of a smaller guy but got banged up a lot through the air but like that the talent is there 100 percent yeah I think Christian Watson has I mean he's one of the craziest athletes I've ever seen I think you get him in Matt LaFleur's offense uh with some of the stuff they do just getting guys open in space like if he can stay healthy 
he's going to put up pretty crazy numbers, just explosive plays left and right. Like when he gets, I mean, he's got to be, he's one of the fastest players in the NFL. Um, So I I have, I have a lot of, uh, I think Watson will be good. There's an issue. The rest of his body, which is causing him to pull a bunch of hamstrings. So sounds like they have a plan of action to get him on the field a little bit more. I think Dobbs, I think, is like James Jones on steroids, like just Mr. Reliable. Um, I think as he continues to bulk up and add weight and size and just get stronger, like his physicality is going to be a major asset. Um, he's also great in the red zone. So I think um, he's going to be – he'll be playing a lot for the Packers. Um, I, Who's but, selling the most jerseys out of those three in your mind? Because I feel like there's there's a sneaky case we made that like Dobbs is a fan favorite there because he's the yeah. lowest drafted. He might be the toughest sort of fits he's, in with the Green Bay fan base. But who who do you think out of those three guys, one, two, three, is selling the most jerseys? Yeah, I, I think Dobbs will be a fan favorite. I, I think Christian Watson, though, people are sleeping on. I mean, this guy's one of the craziest athletes who's ever played in the NFL. Um, we've seen him produce pretty crazy numbers when he's been on the field. Um, and he's still super young, Doesn't hasn't played a ton of football, like played at North Dakota State. Like, I think the potential is off the charts with him. Um, they just need to keep him on the field. Uh, so I, I could see him. He's the one guy who I could really actually see turning into like, oh, this guy's actually a mega superstar, like draft top two rounds in fantasy. Um, Dontavian Wicks from Virginia, rookie. I, he has shown some um, Devontae-like abilities off the ball just on his releases with some of the shakes he does and his just how wiggly he is off the ball. Um, when he's on the, when he's, you know, when they, when right after they say hi, he's rarely gets jammed up. Um, so I think he's got tons of potential too. And then lastly, Bo Melton, who, um, looks like Donald driver, but a little bit faster, I guess. So I, I'm, I think all five of those guys are going to be really valuable pieces. I think all of them are really good. They're all in great rookie contracts and, um, and, I think it's in LaFleur's offense, it's it's not the type of thing where you put in, you know, the same three guys every play. So they're going to be rotating. It's going to be a lot, a lot of uh, mix and match. And I think. It's yeah, it's very interesting. And... It's very interesting to me because in baseball terms, right? Like if you had five really good young outfielders, you would trade at least one, probably two of them and try to get either like, a you know, an ace starting pitcher or a big first base bat to try and put you over the top, whatever. Football works out a lot differently trade value just kind of isn't what it is teams are less willing to trade and i don't think they end up trading any of those guys but i mean just kind of looking at the the roster holistically like where are the upgrades that you see before we even get into like some of the cap stuff and some of the guys they might let go like what what upgrades do you want to see made to the roster for next year yeah i think number one upgrade needs on offense needs to be um offensive line i think right guard was a major hole we are rotating basically all year between john runyon who's a free agent and sean ryan who's a second year third round pick so you'd imagine ryan will get some look at that right guard situation um but i think if they can draft someone doesn't even need to be in a high round but draft the legitimate guard who's going to win up front on some on a lot of those running plays i think that's a major priority um you'd think that 
that Zach Tom, who was great right tackle, Rashid Walker, who seventh round pick, but played really well. Uh, Elton Jenkins, left guard. He's kind of on a bigger long-term contract. And Josh Myers, who's been up and down, but didn't allow a pressure in that game against the Niners. So you'd imagine he'll be back at center. So I think that right guard position and then some tackle depth is is super important. Um, and then on, on uh, the other side of the earth, running back i think is a huge um question mark now again like don't have to invest big assets in that but um there needs to be a plan for aaron jones uh it sounds like he'll probably be back on a restructured deal um aj dylan is a free agent uh not sure if you want to commit long-term money to him maybe just a one-year deal if that's possible i'd probably rather just get a comp pick so you'd imagine drafting some running backs uh probably late rounds um, on the defensive side, I think just really everywhere they could bolster, but um, especially secondary. Um, Eric Stokes, former first-round pick, basically didn't play all year. You'd think he'll be starting alongside Jair at outside corner. Um, safeties, Savage and Owens, both starting safeties, free agents. Uh, I'd imagine Savage will be back. He started playing a lot better, probably played the best football of his career at the end of the season, so – Hoping they bring him back, actually. Um, and then maybe draft. They, they, they need to add some studs in that secondary. You're going to be catching those pretty interceptions. You're going to be flying around making plays. Um, so I think the defense is really in, – in the Packers have um, – the Packers have seven picks in the, in the first four rounds. So they're going to be really bolstering that defense, I'd imagine. Yeah, get the second rounder from the Jets this year. Thank you, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and the and the third rounder from the Bills, thanks to right. the uh, Russell Douglas trade. And then a fourth rounder for, um, who was that? A free agent who signed last year, comp pick. So um, Somebody. Yeah, so that, we've got a ton <laughs> of draft capital to move around, do some things. So I'd imagine that they're really going to be adding to that defense in the draft. For sure. Now, I think the... The fan base is obviously wondering about the futures of a few guys that have been there a long time. Some of them are more clear-cut situations than others. Uh, we'll just go We'll go through them all at once. Bakhtiari, Jair Alexander, uh, Aaron Jones, and Rashawn Gary. What's going on with all four of those guys' contracts for next year? Who's staying? Who's going? Who's getting restructured? Yeah, so I think Bakhtiari, I think it's time to uh... – cut the bandaid off that would be um about 19 million dollars of dead cap as compared to about a 30 million dollar cap hit um so I, I i'm on the side of let's take that dead cap this year instead of next year and just cut him now um now would he come back on a short-term deal probably not i would guess but uh rasheed walker seventh round pick really stepped up well started playing really well towards the end of the year um, and is on a seventh round pick contract at left tackle. So I think let's give him another shot, maybe draft some depth. Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy that it, it would be literally a $20 million difference for if he plays versus if he doesn't play, like you can think about it as $19 million dead cap hit, or you can also think about it as saving 20 million bucks by getting rid of him. It's, it's a Sophie's yeah. choice, but like, Think it has I think to be done. I think it's time. And Zach Tom at right tackle. I mean, he's one of the best right tackles in football now. So I think having him really makes that insurance policy a little bit better. Um, Rashawn Gary signed an extension, so he'll be back. Uh, he's 
one of the best players on the team for sure. Yeah, but I think the point um, with his extension was like it was made to be reworked essentially, right? Yeah. Like something's going to have to give there where they can free up more cap space by restructuring his deal this offseason. I could see, yeah, I could see them restructuring and extending him a bit. Uh, Jair Alexander, I think he'll probably be restructured. Now the Packers do have a ton of cap space. Some of that will be dependent on on Love's deal, um, but it's not a ton. It's not as much as you would think. I they'll be able to maneuver some free, but uh, Spot Track has them right now at seven mil. Uh, yeah. plus whatever you get from the Bakhtiari deal. Because right now I'd imagine he's listed for the full 39. So basically yeah, we'll call it 27. So, so they'll, yeah, they'll cut that down. I think Jones, I mean, his cap hits at 17.7 million. I think he'll probably just restructure um, and give some of that back. He did, he's done that once already. Um, another one is Kenny Clark, who has a $27 million cap hit. Could see a restructure there. I believe he's in either the last or second to last year of that deal. Um, he's getting a bit older, but I, I would think he'll be back. Um, one that one guy that is probably going to be gone, I would guess, is Devondre Campbell. Um, he has been hurt a lot and just hasn't been playing as well. $14.7 million cap hit as a linebacker. Uh, if you're not at all pro level, you're probably going to get out of there. Uh, they'll probably get you out of there. So I could see him getting cut, probably replaced through the draft. Um, I do think that that uh, Darnell Savage is someone who I, I think sign they should sign him to an extension. We've seen with the Packers them give up on some of these young secondary players pretty early on in their careers, like Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde. Um, and I think sometimes these guys, I mean, these crazy athletes, they just take a little bit of time to develop. And I've liked what I've seen out of Savage. So I would, I would actually pay him and uh, bring him back. Um, who else is on that list? That was, that was pretty much, they might want to consider an extension for Josh Myers as well. Uh, he's coming up on the last year, his deal starting to play a little bit better. I wouldn't mind getting him locked into a, a little bit of a discounted rate before he hits free agency. Um, Preston Smith, I would think he'll be back, but $16 million cap hit could save a lot of money there. He's pretty old drafted first round edge player, Lucas Van Ness. So I think, that Preston Smith one might be dependent on if one of these high-valued edge rushers slips to us in the first round. Um, if we don't get one, I could see him being back. Um, but, but yeah, I, it, they're going to be adding to this roster a lot. I really like the direction of this team. Um, and I think uh, bet, probably best quarterback in the NFC, good amount of draft pick in Casper. So um, I, I'm not going to full-on dispute you on that, but it is definitely – the NFC quarterback picture is weird and a lot different than the AFC. The AFC, you have four home runs and a bunch of doubles hitters. You have, you know, I think most people would take all four Lamar, Mahomes, uh, Allen and Burrow over pretty much anyone in the NFC. And then you got a bunch of guys that are still really, really good and Herbert Lawrence, whoever else you want to throw in there. NFC. I, I could see Jordan love being the best out of those guys for the next five years. Absolutely. I think, if you're just going on like pure skill level right now, Dak had the best season. We can talk about Dak in the regular season versus Dak in the playoffs till the cows come home. Jalen Hurts was hurt all year and he looked like he in general took a step back and then nobody's ever going to be able to agree at all on Brock Purdy. It just won't happen. So what's it's yeah, the Purdy. I just, I don't really, after watching that game, you're seeing the ball coming out of his hands. Like 
that was pretty rough. Um, well, yeah. see, that's the thing, right? Like you feel if you were someone who doubted Brock Purdy or just, you know, not even doubted, doubted's the wrong word. Just was like, hey, this guy is what he is. He He's like a, a limited playmaker with some spunk uh, who can give you some like, you know, mobility outside the pocket every once in a while, keep his head up, throw down field. He's very accurate, even if he's not, you know, a rocket on guy. But like Brock Purdy's not going to be the reason you win a Super Bowl. Right. Like Brock, if Brock Purdy guides you to a Super Bowl, that's one thing. He's not going to be the driving force behind your run. So if that was your view on him, you feel vindicated coming out of this game. And then you get people like the Niners athletic reporters saying that he was Joe Montana 2.0 in that game. So nobody's ever going to be able to agree on anything. If, yeah, I mean, there, there were so many missed throws. And I think if you switch quarterbacks in that game, that's a probably a 40 to 10 type of game so preach um <laughs> I'm, I'm not really bought in the purdy that roster is really good he makes some good plays he makes more good plays than the last few guys they've had but um but but yeah uh don't sleep on caleb williams too that's one guy i think might be better than love but he's we'll not see. in the nfl yet so if, if he is indeed heading to chicago they appear to have their oc too so things could be looking up and that division could just be outrageous so we don't know who the vikings quarterback is going to be but if you have the current ryan lions roster and this young packers team with love and the bears with caleb williams that could be really fun for a really long time last couple things to deal with here one how much money is jordan love getting how many years and when's he getting it yeah so they signed him to that extension last offseason i think that they'll um they're gonna have to i mean they're gonna have to extend him again i I, I'm the type of guy who kind of doesn't want to rush this with quarterbacks. I would, um, I would, I would try to hold out a little bit and not just give them the, um, give them the, all the money right up front. Like some of the, like the Eagles did with Jalen hurts, which is looking not the best at the moment. Um, but really there's, I mean, what can you do? He's going to be a Packer for a while. Um, I would just try to keep the, keep those cap hits as low as possible. Um, he's got a few uh, void years on the end of this current extension that he just signed. So, um, but, but you got to give him his money. I mean, he's clearly one of the best quarterbacks in football. Um, and it's unfortunate that he, he's already up for contract, but, uh, but yeah. What can you yeah. Do? I mean, he's <laughs> only signed through next season because of the fifth year option decision. So, it's all those years become automatically void and he's a UFA in 2025 if nothing else happens. So I think I, I kind of think now is the time, right? Like you don't want to go into the season with that hanging over your head. I mean, he's probably not going to hit free agency either way, but why would you even like just have his mind thinking that could at all be a possibility throughout the season instead of just being like, you're our guy going to some football games. Yeah. Yeah. You got to pay him. I, I do hate when these teams just give out the fat deals after a few good games, but um, there's really not any other options other than maybe testing it this season and then potentially franchising, um, which I wouldn't hate, but um, yeah, I mean, you don't want to pay. It's true. Like the Daniel Jones contract is always going to stick in everyone's mind and for good reason. Uh, But I mean, I don't think Jordan loves Daniel Jones. I'd be comfortable giving him pretty much exactly the Daniel Jones contract, but, We'll see because he's yeah, probably going to want more. Yeah, exactly. So if he if he comes in at Daniel Jones' price, obviously send him to sign him today. If he even comes in a little bit above that, like uh, 
you know, maybe even like what Jalen Hurts got, like, sure. But if he's going to be coming in looking for, like, by far the biggest quarterback contract ever, which I actually don't think he's going to do that. He does seem a little bit uh, humble and loyal. Like, dude, Packers. you're 26. What do you mean? Biggest contract ever. You're not going to pay a guy for 10 years, right? I I wouldn't do that, but <laughs> if he could ask for that, and that's where I would get it, go into the season. So I wouldn't just give him everything he wants the second. I would try to use some of that leverage um, and get him on a on a lower ca- uh, cap hit deal and go from there. But I do think with the Packers draft capital and just the young options at receiver and tackle um, and edge even too, I think that they're set up pretty well to be – have a quarterback making a little bit more and be fine still adding pieces to their roster i don't think it'll be as uh it's they'll be as hampered as as say they were at the end of the rogers years when he's 40 million dollar cap hit and a bunch of old players last question packers win the super bowl next year what is it not next year sorry what is what is the next season that the green bay packers are winning the super bowl put your Put your clairvoyant hat on and give me a year. Yeah. Um, I think I, I don't know about next year. I think they're still kind of adding to this roster. Tons of young players. Um, I think the, I think 2025 is going to be really when this championship window opens and there'll be kind of the 25 through. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I think next year is, it's not a rebuilding year, obviously, but I still think it's a year where, they're trying to get out of the whole Rogers cap debacle. Balkiari's within that. Preston Smith's in that. It's all these Aaron Jones, all these guys who had money pushed out because Rogers is making so much, and now it's kind of taking up all the cap. So I think they'll get out of some of those contracts. Uh, they got tons of draft picks this year, so those guys will be added. And then I think next year is really where they might sign a few players. Um, the receivers will be third year, fourth year. Love will be in this third year starting. And I think that's really where you could see a, a kind of the powerhouse forming. Um, next year, I, next year will be will be interesting though, because they did get pretty hot at the end of this year. And, and mostly, I mean, pretty much everyone's back. I mean, they might lose, um, they might lose Dylan, they might lose Savage, they might lose a few guys they cut, but I mean, pretty much everyone. Yeah, back. too worried about that. Yeah, it's all going to be about how big the leap Love takes is. How many games they win in next year? Last, last question. Yeah, I would, I would say that I would set the over under at um, ten and a half, probably. That was my and, number too. And I would, I would probably go over. I think that the division won't be great yet. Um, I think the NFC has tons of winnable games and they play the AFC South. So that could be three wins right there. Um, so I like, I like where the Packers are going. I, that, this was a tough loss. We really had a shot. I do think that if we had won this game, we would have had a real chance to win the Super Bowl. Um, and we got, I don't close, know if anybody's but, beaten Baltimore, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, Baltimore does certainly had a good. chance to beat Detroit. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one between the Niners and Detroit. The Niners did not impress me, and Debo might be out, but um, but we'll see. We'll see. There you have it, folks. All retrospective on the future of the Green Bay Packers. Couldn't think of someone I'd rather have on, Tosh Myers. 
Thank you and good luck. I hope uh, I hope all of your Packers predictions come true, except when they play the Patriots in the 2025 Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this new era goes down. But it is uh, definitely more fun to be rooting for Jordan Love than Aaron Rodgers. I'll tell you that much. And um, and yeah, go Pat, go. I Thanks like that. Out on, Talk later, bud. And we're back. Kale, how, this is the fun part of the show where we get to react to something that hasn't happened yet, and you have no idea what Tosh just said, but uh, wise words, right? A lot to look forward to in the Packers' future. Yeah, no, definitely. This is uh, – we said it last week, uh, and we said it earlier on this pod. Uh, team playing with house money. Uh, had a schedule in the fact that they almost beat the number one and the number two teams and was pretty much weather-affected in how they directly lost that game. Uh, bright future. Good to you see. Can, you can be haunted by that game-ending interception, or you can learn from it. And I think, you know, Jordan Love's I'd not a rookie by any means. Yeah, not not a rookie by any means, but still was his first year as a starter. Still plenty young. Uh, will learn from that. Uh, was awesome throughout the entire second half of the season until we got to that second half of the Niners game. And I think will bounce back. So I I would. I would like to make an announcement before uh, we go into our last team. Uh, the Detroit Lions have signed Zach Ertz. Wow. After losing uh, uh, Brock Wright in their game, uh, they just get to add a three-time Pro Bowler. He's been there. He's He's got a ring. I don't hate it. Now, we should talk about the Lions. And... I mean, it's just kind of a weird coincidence that the show orders worked out this way where we're 56 minutes in plus the time length of the Tosh interview. So probably like an hour and 15 minutes in and have not discussed a team making it to their first conference championship game in 32 years. But we're here. So, I mean, I, it was an interesting scenario, right? Because the Lions have not been here and yet they were expected to get here after the win last week. And after playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were a nine and eight football team that only made the playoffs because they were in the worst division in football and then beat a team that essentially was begging to go home last week. So the Bucs played well. I will say that for the most part in this game, they they kept it very competitive. There were moments where it looked like the Lions could pull away and then all of a sudden Tampa was just back in the end zone. But I don't know. I felt like the Lions just did what they had to do. And I feel like. I, I'm I'm of two minds. You can either be like, we won our two home playoff games. We made our first conference championship since 91. And, and that was, you know, that was enough this season. Or we could go really shock the world now. This is, this is the, do you want to have a great season or do you want to have an all-time season now at this point for Detroit? Yeah, I don't know why I thought that uh, I said that Brock Purdy would play well in the Dome. Uh, like the Lions have one more home game left. Oh, I thought uh, you were talking about the Super Bowl. Yeah, no. Ain't, ain't in Detroit. Uh, well, yeah, I could have also said that. Uh, but, yeah, Lions, Lions are in this such, like such a weird spot because it's their top contributors, uh, their top rushing leader, Jameer Gibbs, rookie, uh, their top – Receiver in this game, Sam Laporta, rookie. Uh, their biggest overall defensive talent and lead tackler, Brian Branch, rookie. 
Like this is a team with a oh, yeah, branch. Branch, yeah. Uh this is a team that has such a young core to it. Even, you know, Amon Ra, third year guy. Like this is such a this is a team with such a young core, and I think it, it genuinely benefits them to have uh such talented people on rookie deals and the what lines are reportedly working out an extension with Jaron Goff. So even he's uh I was going to say relatively inexpensive, but he did sign an extension before moving to Detroit. So it's not totally out of the woods there. But like this is a damn like this is a damn talented group, and they've got to they've got to see this out. And I know it's going to be more uphill. Uh, I think this Lions team plays a bit above their weight class at points because of the additional influence of Dan Campbell, which I think we don't talk enough about just like pure motivator uh, as a legitimate factor and just getting guys up for games. Uh, Campbell is absolutely that guy. And I think it's super important to recognize that. Uh, but like, man, this offense is talented. A uh, defense, you know, like San Francisco, I don't think it's because as much as San Francisco, because uh, even that core, like, you know, lead pass rusher, second-year guy, uh, you know, they're doing more creative stuff at least, like getting Branch on some slot blitzes, same with Melon Fonwu. Uh, like they're doing some legitimately creative stuff to manufacture pressures and set up guys who aren't necessarily as wholly gifted as, say, a San Francisco 49ers roster. Uh, they're doing a great job of putting their guys in positions for success. And it I always think. felt like the, the play on defense was right around the corner, like even when the Bucks were driving early and especially late. Uh, you know, they take over, they're down by eight, and you're like, okay, they have enough time to go get a touchdown. Okay, he throws the immediate pick, but – whether or not you saw that coming, it just always felt like Detroit's defense had that one more play in them. They might have that against the Niners. Like it's possible. They, like you said, the way they draw it up is like it's hard for an offense to see coming. And Brock Purdy is like the other quarterback in the NFC who you would expect to like maybe be sackable in big spots. There were a yeah. few times in the Packers game where he could have feasibly escaped pressure and did not. Uh, and I don't think the Lions are letting you escape. So if yeah, that's the other, it starts with that creative pressure creating. That's the other side of this is that, like, you think you have all this time in the world. And then you realize that not only are you not going to, like, like all these contracts are going to come due pretty quickly. Uh, you know, I don't know when Anzalone's a free agent, but like he's gonna need a bag soon. CJ Gardner Johnson, I don't think he was a multi-year deal. Uh, if you keep him around, you'll either have to pay him or you'll have to find a way to uh, you know, replace his level of secondary talent. Not only like you know, you have one window for this roster and it's now. Core is good, but you you know you need to re up on that. You're also never going to get this coaching talent again. Like one of, if not both, Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn will be gone. Aaron Glenn should be gone after this year because what he is doing with this, uh, you know, 
very pedestrian defensive roster is super special. Uh, I, I know it's not the best, but like, you know, just getting like getting to Baker in key moments, putting him on the ground. Baker got sacked at least four times in this game, uh, put up a game ceiling interception off of uh, a pretty big uh, pressure there. CJ Gardner Johnson came down with an additional one, just a real like all around performance by a, a very, you know, unsung group. Yeah, I mean we're not we're not saying anything we haven't said before on this show, but it's all culture with Detroit, right? Like it's it's a thing that they've been building for three years that's now coming to fruition. And I think, you know, one thing that maybe we didn't point out last week, even though like we may have glazed over it, was there was a moment last year where, you know, things were going pretty far south and you know, the the year two trajectory of this Dan Campbell movement didn't seem to be going the way it was. And they they brought up on the broadcast like there was a time when Sheila Ford Hamp, the owner who's only been the owner for three and a half years was brought to the mic last year and asked to basically answer for Dan Campbell and say like, you know, how much time are you going to give this guy? And she's like, we're not bailing. We're not pulling the rip cord on this thing a year and a half in. That may be a mistake this franchise has made in the past. Like we believe in what we're doing here and we're going to see this thing through. And now that it's coming to fruition, it's like, okay, regardless of what happens the rest of this year, you have to trust that that's going to stay in place when you lose potentially both coordinators, when you lose some of these guys who get the bag in free agency, you have to trust that like just the, not only the roster and the culture, but just kind of the overall team ethos that you've built is going to, is going to carry the day and they're going to be able to pick up the right guys and bring in, bring them into their fold. I, I hate to bring up like a Patriots comparison, but it's like, it didn't matter who was wearing a Patriots uniform for a while there. Right. Like they just had, they had a system and they brought in the right guys who maybe hadn't been there before, but they knew we're going to be able to play their style of football. And I think that's what, that's what's going to ultimately ensure the Lions are still a factor in the NFC for the next few years is is the Dan Campbell culture and what they've bought into. Now, they also have a lot of cap space, so it's entirely feasible that they could not only sign some of those guys back, your Anzalonis and or your CD Deuces, but like you could go fortify you know, parts of that defense. You could fortify the secondary. You could get two linebackers in free agency if you want to. They also have the draft. Like there's... There's a lot of ways that the Lions are seventh in total cap space for next year. So like there's you're feeling better about them, at least, than you are like a Bills who are 43 million over the cap already. The, the Lions have a lot of a lot of wiggle room. And I know part of that's going to have to go to Amon Ra at some point. But you've you've got some maneuverability there. Yeah, not it's a, it's a place you're going to want to play. Like, like it just everything that you've heard about. uh Everything you've heard about Dan Campbell is a, you know, is a positive. Everyone seems to talk alarmingly about him. It's a, a, a stark departure from the days where they popped champagne in the locker room on the last day of <laughs> the regular season with Matt Patricia. But that was so uh, this is a, yeah, it's it's crazy what what you know one regime change will do for you, but. Did know. you see the tweet? I doubt you saw it actually. It was a pretty like niche tweet. Um, and maybe you just knew this already, like all these names, but do you see like the full 
Lions coaching staff because I think it speaks to that as well. Like all these all these guys who like wanted to be a part of the Dan Campbell culture, like the entire Lions coaching staff is crazy awesome names. Have you no. you seen that? Okay, so no. like we're talking down to like quality control coaches and all this stuff. Uh, here are some of the highlights uh, on offense. Their quarterbacks coach Mark Brunel, assistant quarterback quarterbacks coach JT Barrett. Wide receivers coach Antoine Randall L, if you can believe that. Oh, Let's yeah. move to the defense. Cornerbacks coach Dre Bly. Linebackers coach Kelvin Shepard. Senior defensive assistant John Fox, Kale. He's just in really? the building. Yeah. So they just have like all these names who like don't need to be assistant coaches. They don't need this money to make a living. Like they're they're bagged up. They're just doing this for love of the game and for love of the Lions franchise. It's even like seeing like uh, Calvin Johnson come back or, or Barry Sanders back in the fold, like like folks that just had had totally sworn off this entire regime is are just back. Like that's the that's the kind of presence change that a guy like Dan Campbell offers you. It's very refreshing, and I don't know what happens happens next week. But I'm looking forward to it, if only because it's going to be uh, like, uh, if it's if it's when we give Campbell's flowers and, and you know it's the end of this run, so be it. But you know they're going to go out swinging, like oh, yeah. you know that you know they're going to come out and you know Glenn is going to throw together some unique pressures and some coverage changes on the back end you're gonna see uh you know ben johnson pull some shit out of his bag like that fake fake tackle trap kick outside to i think it was i forget if it was gibbs or montgomery but like penny soul moving in space is a, is a threatening thing and getting him doing that a lot more is gonna be cool i don't know i'm that just play was almost the coolest play of the entire playoffs i think it was gibbs and he got like tripped up actually a yard short of the first down but yeah. if he breaks that he's got 50 yards maybe a touchdown and you're right like that <laughs> that was sick and the way like sewell's just a runaway we're a runaway freight train and i would top five guys i wouldn't want to see pulling around the edge coming at me it's basically him and trent williams yeah and, and we'll see like losing jonah jackson that game's tough we already talked about the replacement to brock Wright, but you just you just don't know how this is going to pan out, and I'm just excited like the, more than Chiefs Ravens because I'm sure that's going to be a good game no matter. But this is the game I'm more excited to really hone in on because this is you, we're getting the best offensive mind against arguably one of the best you know my, one of my favorite coaches in football because he's one of the most analytically driven guys. He is. Uh, one of the most, uh, you know, risk welcoming. I don't know the opposite of risk versus <laughs> risk prone. Uh, with, with two of the most impressive young coordinator minds in the league, or, or just new coordinator minds on both sides of the ball, and they're going to get they're going to get cooking. And I'm very excited about uh, Detroit just dumping the bag on the table and seeing what they could put together. Yeah, I mean, it is going to have to be a situation where 
I want I want the Lions up 14-3 in this game if I want them to have a chance. Like I want them I want them establishing like just coming out and punching San Francisco in the mouth cuz I think that as much as we've talked glowingly about the entire roster the Lions have built up like the Niners roster is still a, a cut above for the most part. Yes. And I think they will eventually be able to move the ball on Detroit. So I think Detroit's got to like come out and hammer them early, maybe get a turnover in the first half and like I, I'd almost be inclined to like take the ball first and try and go down and get seven immediately. Like I just think this is a this is a tone setting game for Detroit. I think you need that early advantage, uh, and I have no reason to believe they can't do it. But it's it's certainly the game I feel less confident about for either team, even though it is the bigger spread. Like I think this is I have this as a close game next week for sure. Yeah. out. So. Before we move on completely from that game and talk game balls, I I had like an honorable mention head scratcher. What was Todd Bowles doing at the end, man? Like I just I won't ever be able to understand just not even not calling the timeout, not making them kick the field goal, just saying, "All right, season's over. It's fine. We tried." That's never going to sit right with me, and I doubt it sits right with Bucks fans who just saw their season come to an end. It's you know, I, I said this to you before the pod. You never want to go down like you know. You don't want to lie like a dog. You, you don't want to just give up. But like mistiming that, and you have like you force them to kick a field goal to go down potentially eleven. But if there's the thirty percent chance they miss from that distance, you then have you know. 25 seconds and 70 yards to run probably three plays. And then you have to get the two point to even tie it. it it's just such a like infinitesimally small uh, probability to get that done that I just. Is it infinitesimal? I, I mean, we're adding ends in that 1%? word also. <laughs> would you call it 1%? I'd call it less than one percent. Would you call it less than point one percent? I don't think so. I'm I'm sure win probability graphics did, but Cause that's because then, then like you have they weren't to necessarily factoring in the chance that they could take that timeout. But it's like a it's like a thirty percent chance that they miss into a, uh, I'd say a, 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 a you know, five to 10% chance they're able to get down there in 25 seconds into a 40% chance they convert just to tie it into another 40% chance that they win the, uh, you know, you know, they win the overtime period. So we can like literally do the, I'll call it 0.75 for the drive or the uh, 7.5% for the, yeah, it is point. It's it's not. It's less than one, more than point one. It's point three six. I've got. I just think it's just worth doing trying, head man. math quick. <laughs> like, if if Bill Belichick had just said like, ah, oh, we don't we don't need to pull out the full bag. We're down twenty eight three in the Super Bowl. Like, I just don't understand. Not like, just make them kick the field goal. Who cares? Yeah. Is it like? Is he worried about etiquette? Is he worried about Dan Campbell being? I don't think it's. I don't think it's an etiquette thing. I don't think it's an etiquette thing. I think it's just getting the like. I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess try. Better, There's no harm in trying. Tried and failed than to never know. Yeah. Crazier things have happened in the history of sports. I just don't get. And like, especially because it's Michael Badgley, who, yeah, he hasn't missed a kick with the Lions yet, but he's missed a lot of kicks in his career. And he's yeah. 77% in his career between 40 and 49, which is okay. But this is 48 we're talking about. So let's bump that 77 down to maybe 72. And yeah, you're right. Like, those kicks get missed all the time. Like, why not just try? If he makes the kick, Great, our season's over. We tried. If he misses that kick, we got a chance. So I, I'll never understand that. That that was almost my head scratcher, but I had a better one. So we'll move on, but shame, Todd Bowles. For shame. Game balls. Game balls. Offense, Lamar. Uh, one of the best rushing performances in playoff history. Uh, likely MVP. About uh, as good as you can get. Uh Hell yeah. Uh, ball at Ravens. That was that was about as impressive of a win as you could have asked for. Yeah. I have no – not only do I not have qualms with that, I have no response to that. We've, we've said all we need to say about Lamar earlier in this podcast. And equally, you could just say almost the same things about Patrick Mahomes and give him an offensive game ball. But I think that's boring. So he's got enough game balls in his career. I don't need to give him one. I'm going to give mine to another guy who probably has a lot of game balls, but I think this is a deserving one. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. We we talked a little bit about like this being a Christian McCaffrey game. There were times he looked a little bit banged up in this game. There were times he looked a little bit bottled up in this game, but he just kept coming. He ends up scoring the last two touchdowns for the Niners, which are the two most important touchdowns. His one long one, he breaks the 39-yarder. There's good anecdotes coming out of the game where he basically – went up to Shanahan during the timeout, and he was like, we're scoring on this play. He just – he felt it. He's like, I know the call. I, I think I know the look we're going to get. And it's like, I, I think we're scoring here. And it's like, I hope you're right. And he was right. He broke it pretty easily. Uh, and then, you know, there have been all sorts of times throughout history where, you know, teams get down in the red zone late in the game, and you think like, oh, it's a matter of clock and how early do you want to score or whatever. You still got to punch it in. Uh, and third and one – from the six yard line, like McCaffrey could have been stopped at the one there. McCaffrey could have been bottled up behind the line, but no, it was just such an easy touchdown because he's Christian McCaffrey and there's nobody else close to him in the running back world right now. So as much as it wasn't like the biggest game of his career, he still had 98 on the ground, two touchdowns and another 30 in the passing game. So I'm, I'm going to give it to him because he, to me was the driving force behind the Niners, just not, fucking up in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, he is damn good. He is an impressive, impressive player. And let's see. And that's why you let's, do let's that watch trade. Carry him in NFC. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> he is, <laughs> it is impressive to be not only the best rushing running back in the league, but also one of, if not the best receiving running backs in the league. Uh, just, a, just a one of one talent that we – like a once-in-a-generation kind of a guy. I'm the glad entire, he stayed healthy this whole time, too. The entire discourse of the last, like, five years in, like, smart football circles has been how running backs aren't important, right? And even those people have often said, like, McCaffrey is the one running back who does matter. But, like, you think about the biggest trade acquisitions in the last few years and 
how spectacularly the quarterback acquisitions have failed. The McCaffrey ones already paid dividends. And if they win a Super Bowl, then it's going to be like a historically great trade that the Niners will always be able to look back on and say, yeah, we needed we needed something to push us over the edge. We got the one transcendent talent at this position that can completely change the trajectory of a game and therefore season. Uh, so I have I have nothing but good things to say about the Niners having the courage to make that trade, knowing that they were probably like they were in a bidding war with the Rams. They were probably going to be seen by the industry as having overpaid for Christian McCaffrey, but they did it because they knew that was the piece they needed to get them over the edge. And it's worked out so far. Defense. I'll go. Defensively, I'm going to give my game ball. There were two choices. There were two game-stealing interceptions, and you could have either taken the guy who had two interceptions, or you could take the guy whose game-stealing interception was also the first of his career, third-year player. So maybe I'm a sucker for narratives. I'm a Lions homer at this point, whatever. I'm wearing the hat, but give me Barnes. Or, yeah, give me Derek Barnes. Give me the the game-stealing interception for the Detroit Lions. Uh Good locker room speech after two. Not shocking. I would call it like a an eight out of ten locker room video from the Lions this week, but that's probably just only that low of a rating because last week's Lions locker room video was like a sixteen out of ten. So, you know, maybe it under delivered a little bit from the emotions perspective for me, but still like really cool to see him get his game ball, him turn to the team and give his talk about like you know, this one belongs to the linebacker room. Everyone believed in me. There's other people that maybe could have given up on me after two not great first years in the league. Uh, and he stuck around and he got his pick in the moment where it couldn't have mattered more. So Derek Barnes, defensive game ball. Yeah, no, a uh, two teams, both in the NFC, uh, very much defined uh, by their linebacking core. For the Lions, like – Talk about the uh, the high round pick and Jack Campbell. I I speak a lot about Alex Anzalone as this big reclamation project from the Dolphins, just kind of define that front seven. Uh, and and Barnett gets lost in the mix. Uh, he is uh, very much as part of that group as uh, you know anyone else. So getting getting that moment out of Barnes is a huge uh, huge play there. I will go with the other guy, though. I will go with Drew Greenlaw. Uh, two picks on a guy who had thrown uh, one pick in his last, like, eight games or nine games. Uh, the 21-to-1 touchdown to interception ratio no longer stands uh, and just helped seal it for the Niners. Just stamp of approval there. Fully agree. The only other thing I want to bring up about that one is – how many millions of people around the world were screaming, go down, go down, go down, go down, go down, <laughs> stop, take a knee, stop. Like he was on his feet for 15 seconds after that pick for no reason. What are you doing, man? I maybe thought he had to run clock. I don't know. <laughs> that was nuts. That was like the most unhinged moment of the playoffs almost so far. He he looked like he could have maybe fumbled it three times, on, and he probably covered 70 yards on that run back for no reason. Maybe he'll learn from that. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, two huge plays. Nice interception, that second one, too. They were both nice. And the no, they were clean. Like, squeezed it, like diving play, rolling over, big guy. Big plays. Really nice. Now, special teams – not as nice because like I'm going to give mine to a loser 
But you got to have a, when you have a punt return touchdown in the playoffs, you gotta. Uh, and it was the only touchdown the Texans scored the entire day. So Steven Sims, he also had a really nice kickoff return in this game. Obviously, didn't go for a touchdown, but. The return game is huge, and and he did a really nice job when the rest of his team just kind of didn't have it in this game. At least he made Texans fans, you know, sit through halftime with hope. I'll give it to Steven Sims. No, he earned that one. Uh, that was – he almost he looked a little dead to rights, broke it out. Hell yeah. Uh, my guy, very boring, a very do-your-job kind of game ball. Uh, Butker, in a game where Tyler Bass <laughs> missed a winner uh, – Way to do your job in a, in pretty brutal conditions and put your team over the top. Two for two on field goals, long of 47. Three for three on XPs, and every one of those counted. Yeah, I mean, in 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 the similar fashion to where you have like the very workmanlike special teams game ball, you could have equally given uh, anti-special teams game balls this week to Tyler Bass and to the Bills' entire punt unit for the debacle that was the DeMar Hamlin fake punt failure. Uh, but we will do neither of those because we're about positivity here and always have been. And the other one I really wanted to give out. Especially though, when it comes to the Bills. Yeah, just a, a glowing uh, beacon of positivity. Now, I also wanted to give one to uh, Eric Wilson of the Packers for that fumble recovery on their long punt return where Keyshawn Nixon fumbles. One of the best fumble recoveries I think you'll see where the ball is like, very loose, very much bouncing quickly, and he like dove on it and stopped it, pinned it to the ground in a flash. That was one of the better fumble recoveries I can remember. But again, they lost, so I wanted to give that game ball, but couldn't do so. What are you gonna do? Hate to see it. Hate to see it. Uh, uniforms. Why don't you go? Uh. Truly nothing more timeless than Green Bay San Francisco. So there were a lot of good ones this week. A lot of yeah, solid I was gonna ones. say I liked liked three out of the four. Uh, I was gonna say everything but Baltimore Houston. Yeah. a hundred percent. I I would have gone Green Bay San Francisco if I didn't go Green Bay Dallas last week. That essentially just feels like two sides of the same coin. Uh so I'll shock the world a little bit and go Tampa Detroit. This no, it was going, a good one. Well, it's going against one of my like typical rules, which is that like the all blue look is not good for the most part. But for whatever reason, it's like it's aged well with that Detroit team specifically, where it kind of like meets the overall vibe of that. You know, it's indoor stadium. It's not like your traditional intimidating football atmosphere. It's only intimidating because the fans are so loud. And those uniforms are pretty loud. So that's like, it's kind of all come together to create an an intimidating vibe. Uh, And like Honolulu blue and red and pewter is a very interesting color contrast. I'm excited again for Lions Niners because it's another very interesting color contrast. Like hard to go wrong, blue and silver against red and gold. I do think the Lions are going to wear the white pants with no striping on the sides, which is going to suck for the uniform matchup and probably make me lean towards picking the other game this week in the uniform department. But for now, we'll we'll celebrate the Lions and their uniform choices for this week. Give them flowers while you can, because who knows how long they'll be around. Yeah, those pants should be banned. Continue. <laughs> uh, head scratcher kind of said mine already. Uh, the it, it was the Joe Brady game plan 
You kind of miss a little Ken Dorsey there. Kind of miss Gabe Davis. You, you, Allen was accurate on his deep ball throws. You just didn't throw enough of them. Hate it. Hate to see it. Uh, what's going to become of the Bills' offensive coordinator spot this offseason? Early thoughts? No. I did just see, though, uh, I'm constantly monitoring. Uh, the The Eagles are interviewing Rivera for the D.C. job. That's funny. Just staying in division. That'll be very interesting. I think he deserves that. Uh, I do not know about the OC job, though. That'll be super well, – I like the best guy, Waldron's off the market already. It's going to be interesting. They've got a lot to address. Uh, my head scratcher. Fought hard to not bring it up in our discussion of the Packers. Possible that this will have been spoiled by the time we air this because of the Tosh segment, but why didn't Matt LaFleur take the time out? It's just been sticking with me for the last two days. Like, minute 55, Purdy scrambles. He goes down, creates third and one at the Green Bay six. So at this point, he goes down with like a minute 47, minute 48 left. You have all three timeouts. Why are you not using one there? Because, of course, the Niners are going to run it all the way down. They know this is the last time they're going to have the ball, so there's no reason for them to go quick. They know exactly what's up. 49ers <laughs> obviously take advantage of draining the clock. They snap the next ball with 107 left. And they score a touchdown. So it could have been worse, honestly, for the Packers. It could have been, okay, we go down at the one. Now the game's really over because you either have to burn one of your timeouts there, which I assume he would have, but maybe not because he is crazy, it turns out. Uh, and now you're creating a situation where they get the ball back with a minute two left, and Jordan Love thinks he has to play total hero ball. So it effectively, I mean, you've, you've effectively eliminated the chance of going down and scoring a game-winning touchdown on that drive because I don't think you're doing 75 yards in 62 seconds. And now it's it's instead of like Jordan Love being very calm, okay, we can go down, we can get this field goal. It's it's like it creates that mentality that you saw from him on the interception where he thought he had to play hero ball. So I just don't understand what the downside of using that timeout was there. Like you had – you stop San Francisco in any fashion there, regardless of how much time is left on the clock, the game is over. So it was very much a, like you could have made the argument to use those timeouts on the plus side of the two minute warning, if anything. But I think probably the only argument LaFleur would have is like preserving time on the other side of the first down, but she didn't stop him, and you just burn 40 seconds right there. So to me, take the timeout. If they don't score on the next play, take another timeout and try to preserve as much of that minute 50 as you can for your quarterback. Cause like nothing's more valuable than time. And you literally burned through 40% of that time on one play clock in between downs. It really is kind of crazy. Just how little time they went into that last final drive with like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's clearly a very good San Francisco team. And they get that ball back with what? Like, 620 left in the fourth. And you let them march all the way down through the two minute warning. I get they score a touchdown, but they just burn 
all that time off the clock and you don't try stopping them once to try and hold them up. I know you want to go in with timeouts, but even still, you don't use it till you don't use your first until 52 seconds left in the game. And then you throw the pick. So it doesn't really matter, but you want a little bit more control. You want a little bit more calm, especially for a first year starter in a big moment. And that was like the one spot where you can definitively say like, you should have used it because there are other times early in their drive where it's like, okay, you could have called it when it was second and two with like two fifty left after the pass to Kittle. But that maybe is a little bit early. Then the next play that was going to take it to the two minute warning. So you're not going to use it after the second and two, because that created a first down. You're not going to use it after McCaffrey goes out of bounds, which was like, kind of an underrated bad Niners moment there. If McCaffrey goes down in bounds, then you're really putting the crunch on the Packers. But I get it. Like, you're just trying to score a touchdown there. The Purdy play was the one where you had to call a timeout. That was, like I said, they literally burned 40% of the remainder of the game on nothingness. Like, they just let 40% of the clock go away when they didn't have to, and that definitely cost them. So that's my head scratcher for sure. I'm, I don't know how much it locks in the, you know, the fate of this team, but hey, what, you want to go out throwing all your punches. Yeah, it just, it was both like, right? It was the Bucks and the Packers just both felt like they had more punches in them. It made those two endings kind of unsatisfying because both of those picks came like so early in the drive and on such unnecessary throws. And you could have then pointed to decisions by both head coaches that could have given them more chances. So even though they were good football games, the endings were kind of cliffhangy, frustrating. So is what it is, I guess. Uh, but they're out. And now we got to talk about the teams that are still in. We've already done a lot of previewing throughout this pod. So we're going to go back to the spreads. We got to talk strictly spreads because kale we went a combined seven and one last week so as it turns out we definitely know ball not to brag i went for no kale kale messed up the packers game it happens uh there's a world where the niners could have won that by 10 i suppose but now we're here we got to talk spreads for the championship game we've already kind of tipped our baltimore picks so we'll just go ahead and say baltimore's favored by three and a half against Kansas City, and it seems like both of us are feeling pretty confident about laying the points there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty – Chiefs make it interesting, and I don't think I, – I can't – I can't I can't imagine Mahomes has ever lost a playoff game by more than one score, let alone, you know, more than three if it might be cutting it a bit, but – I'm just, I'm just so high on this Ravens team. I, I just really, really like them enough to. Uh, also, I will give you that definitive answer. The only, the only blowout or more than one score game is the Tampa Bay Super Bowl. But outside of that, they've lost by margins of six, three, and two, and one. So pretty. Pretty good. And, you know, history would tell you they're covering that three. But let's ride it. A little risky. Yeah, I mean, that – it makes you nervous about the potential of backdoor cover. But, like, what are you – what are you going to be scared? It's Lamar. 
like you've got to you got to take some shots in this in this sport and uh, we're taking our shot on the ravens here if you're if you're never going to pick favorites you're never going to you know win that coin kale and i as a not only a man who has never actually put real money down on a, a sports bet but also who uh had a historically bad performance last year against the spread on uh, football outsiders uh weekly staff picks i am the man to be fair we all did no one was good at that <laughs> the problem is they made us pick an upset outright. It was like, we basically only got two picks every week and one of them had to be a three or more point dog to win. So those are going to hit at like what a 30% rate max. And they made us feel like we were, you know, wrong for, for saying all these wrong picks. So I'll, I'll, I'll put us in the clear on that. You know, we weren't, we weren't wrong. We just had too big bit off more than we could chew. Vindicated. Exactly. Niners minus six and a half against those Detroit Lions. This is the much tougher spread for me to pick. I'm still pondering it. You might still be pondering it too, but pressures of the job, Kale. You're going to have to go first. I was going to make you go first. I'm taking Lions. I'm just I, – I I just think that game's going to be a little bit closer. This game got me a little bit scared about uh, San Francisco. I think they broke off a couple big plays against a bad defense, but they still made that defense look pretty presentable. I got it was a weather thing. I don't I don't have you know week out forecasts for San Francisco. Um, I can I can give it a shot. <laughs> uh, or I guess it's it's basically Oakland, right? No, it's uh, so yeah, you had San Jose. In, yeah, you got to put in San Jose if you want the accurate. <laughs> yes. Forecast. Can't do San Francisco because uh, I I've been told that by Jackson too many times. Did you know that when the Raiders were still oh, in oh it's going to be gorgeous. It's yeah. a high of seventy two on on yep. that Sunday. Kale, you don't need to do that to me. <laughs> like I already wish I'm there often enough during the winter months. I already yearn for just being home and playing golf with my dad in seventy degree weather as opposed to. You know, it's been under freezing here in Jersey for over a week straight, and there's still ice on the ground, even though it hasn't snowed since like last Friday. Uh, so yeah, you don't need to make me more homesick than I already am. That's that's fine. Uh, It'll be like sixty, high sixty something here next week. We'll be fine. We'll see about that. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I agree and i was i was sort of regretting making you go first because the minute you picked the lions i was like oh no it's just gonna seem like i'm copying him but i was gonna pick the lions so of the two games even though like the spread is smaller on the Chiefs' side i would be more surprised if the chiefs won that game outright than i would be if the lions won this game outright so that combined with the fact that they're getting more points is enough reason for me to take the points and just get two bites at the apple where like i think there's a good chance they can win but even if they don't win i think there's a good chance they can cover so i'll probably middle it and like if you're just asking me for my game pick i'll say niners by three but give me the points with detroit are you taking detroit or are you taking niners uh i really want detroit I, I don't I don't feel confident enough to take Detroit, which shows me I'm still thinking with Detroit brain. Like I'm not like I'm still thinking like a Lions fan. I'm not thinking like like the team that they really are. But I will uh 
Do you I, want to be I, good or do you want to be great? I will go with the you know the Lions cover Niners win. Yeah, I think that's the right pick, and I think uh, don't don't let your Detroit brain sway you on that one because I still think the Niners are better. But it's going to be a very good football game, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win. Uh, we don't have a cheap seat segment this week, but I did just want to bring up ESPN Fix the website because it says uh, on the schedule page tickets as low as four hundred and six dollars for the Ravens game, tickets as low as fifteen dollars for the Niners game. What? Niners bad fan base only 15 bucks to get in for the NFC championship. No ESPN is listing the watch party at Ford field. (laughs) That's sick. That's awesome. (laughs) Come on ESPN. Don't make the Niners fans look bad. That's so funny. On SeatGeek it's 524 to get in the door for the Niners. So even more crazy. I'm not paying. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not paying 500 bucks to watch a football game under any circumstances. I'm not paying 15 bucks to watch a football game on a TV screen. <laughs> well, you know, bars got covers. I that one would honestly be more of a consideration for me. 15 bucks. Not a shot. I I, I see those and I'll never do it. I I don't I, think I would I never in my world, never in my right mind, go to a watch party unless actively assigned to. Yeah. Because the thing about a watch party is like you're still going to have to deal with the traffic of getting in and out of there. That's going to suck. And then you're just watching on a TV, like you said. Like, why don't I just go? If I want to pay 15 bucks to go to a bar, at least I don't have to sit in traffic for an hour before and after the game. Yeah. I can like freely go to the bar and order a beer instead of sitting in a stadium seat and having to wait in line, not watching the action for 10, 15 minutes. Get that out of my face, Kale. Get it out of my face, Jackson. Get this <laughs> pot out of my face. All right. I will. Uh, Kale's got lunch plans. I got more potting to do today. I'm excited to interview Tosh. And we got a lot of football left, Kale. I mean, we're down to the wire in a sense, but like three more weeks of this. Can't wait. I need to. Are we doing Pro Bowl coverage? <laughs> well, we got to do a little. We got to do a little tasty nugget about the Super Bowl. We we gotta, yeah, we got to post, post and pre. Yeah, little little pre, not a two-hour episode, but we we, yeah. we are a little wet the beat. Little little cool. media week, best of a little, yeah. probably some hiring cycle stuff. We'll get. That I mean, one. we're gonna find some props. Like, there's there's a lot to talk about for sure. Super Bowl props are one of the greatest times of the year. Yes, yes they are. So digest that. Get ready for the conference championships, but. What a week it was and how much there still is to come. Can't wait for it all. For now, he's Kale. I'm Jackson. We will see you next Tuesday. See you.